Welcome to The Five, a podcast built to inform nonprofits about critical functions that will improve their organization. I'm your host, Eric Morcheski, CEO and co-founder of Nimble Strategies. We are bringing The Five to you as a part of our company's five-year anniversary celebration with thought leaders from across the country. Welcome to The Five. Hi, I'm here today with Tom Etling, managing partner of Etling Strategy Partners, or better known as ESP, if you're looking across the the internet or anything for them. Tom is here today to talk about brand marketing strategy. This is a really great thing for organizations, especially nonprofits, to be thinking about. Tom, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this. Yeah, so I've uh, worked in uh, several traditional and a few traditional, I'd say, brand kind of marketing communications agencies and digital agencies um, over over my career and also had a, had a uh, fairly long stint in the public sector. So I uh, helped run marketing communications for a large bi-state development agency in St. Louis that's designed around develop, trend and economic development, et cetera. So, um, and also ran a large nonprofit called St. Patrick's Center, which was a long kind of family history relative to being involved in that organization. They helped folks struggling with housing and security and behavioral health um, and employment issues get back and get back into the workplace and, and back into society. So, so I've got kind of both of those, of those lenses. So, but, but it have been a marketing communications, I'd say brand consultant for the majority of, of my career. So Elling Strategy Partners, you started it three months ago. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing at, as ESP and what offers you have for nonprofits. Yeah, so ESP is a, a fractional CMO, so a fractional chief marketing officer organization. So we provide kind of CMO strategy and support for businesses and organizations who either have a large, highly developed marketing communications function in-house and use agencies or ones that have very little in-house that use a bunch of agencies. So I just learned over the years working and running a few, I'd say more typical brand communications agencies where the opportunity was. And that was the ability to bring strategy, really smart strategy and insights and kind of be uh, agnostic to the, the tool and who's providing the tool. So we've kind of got a best in class group of delivery partners, depending on what the what the needs are, if they're outside of what we do. But we work in industries from healthcare to higher ed to hospitality, arts, culture, private equity, professional services. So we kind of run the gamut, but there's six or seven industries, I'd say that we really kind of uh, have our, our best chops in right off the tip. I'm sure bringing your experience with St. Patrick's Center and everything, nonprofits become a great organization to work with for you just because of your deep experience and not just telling people how it should be because you read it in a book, but telling people how it can be and should be because you've experienced those same issues within an organization. So I always think that's really important when people are looking at consultants is to consider someone that maybe isn't a career consultant, maybe has actually sat in those same shoes because you understand how the impacts of what you're offering actually play out in real life and not just because you read it in a book. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think that the boards that we've been on, you know, our folks have been on have really informed it as well. So you kind of see being a, a business person or a nonprofit executive and on a on different boards, whether it's education or, you know, any industry. I'm on a board for a big HVAC company as well. And you see kind of all the different decisions the folks in those seats are making. And then you also see, frankly, the chair on the charitable piece of it. It's fantastic because it's so hard to recruit good talent these days. So a lot of what we do is related to kind of HR and recruitment marketing because your brand uh, needs to come through front and center and be authentic and then really endure. So if you're not supporting organizations and initiatives in the communities where your folks live and work, 
especially given the the demos of the folks and the interest of the folks we're hiring these days, you're, you're going to lose from the start and you're going to just continue this process that we all deal with of not being able to retain the best, you know, the best talent. Yeah. So obviously what you were just talking about plays a little bit into to your brand. I mean, your brand is a part of the community and it really represents yourself when you're out in the community. So we're, we're here to talk about brand marketing strategy. You know, why does brand marketing strategy mean something to you personally? Well, you know, people talk a lot about professional brands or, or personal brands, but we, you know, I preach this to my four kids. Every interaction you have with a consumer influences the equity you have with that person, positive or negative. I don't care if it's in your, in your marriage. I don't care if it's at your school or your church or, you know, any interaction you have. And I've always been meticulous. My, my friends from my youth will tell you that I'm just big on, you never know. My grandfather told me, you never know where someone's been or where they're going on that specific day. So as, as humans, that's important for us to realize that you can really impact somebody significantly with a higher hello. But, you know, as it relates to brands, it's the same concept. I mean, I think organizations are seeing it more with what's happened on, on social and maybe five or six years ago, really on Twitter, when it became such a divisive kind of argumentative platform, which it which it largely still is. But, you know, you're seeing how the equity of an organization, and there's been some great examples lately we don't have to go into in detail, but big, big publicly traded companies who make a mistake or make a misstep, uh, and then they realize all the equity they've built literally and figuratively can go out the door in a matter of months. And I, I think that because of social media, that's accelerated the need to be very intentional. And you can be organic for sure, but be very intentional and authentic in what your brand is. And, you know, there's so much competition these days that can come out of nowhere. I, I use the examples in the golf industry all the time. If you look at some of the disruptors in the golf industry, there's apparel companies, Roebuck, you know, Grayson, you've never heard of six months ago. And now they're they're sitting there taking out a lot of the a lot of the big players in the minds of the consumers, right? So being intentional is important and meticulous about your brand. When you started with disruptors in golf, I thought for sure you were going LIV. Yeah. <laughs> for another episode, I'd love to talk about that, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that's where my head was when you talked about disruptors, because it has clearly disrupted the golf industry. So all that said, you know, let's talk about your five of brand marketing strategy. If you're a nonprofit, what are those five kind of critical things that you need to think through with brand marketing strategy? Obviously, you touched on one right there where you talked a little bit about every touch point you have is part of your brand and that is your representation to the community. What should organizations be thinking about as they keep that brand marketing strategy moving forward? Being intentional and consistent is really kind of goes across the board for me. I, years ago, I was in uh, Malaga and Bilbao. I was doing an Eisenhower fellowship and I was, it was amazed that in, in, in the business that you do every day, they had their strategic plans with them, literally with them in meetings, and they would pull them out and refer to them. And so the consistency, whether it's in planning, whether it's in execution, whether it's in communication, right? So that's where I think a lot of organizations fall short in your world and in mine, and they'll have a great, they'll have a great plan or they'll have a great brand positioning. And then they'll think, okay, our job's done. And suddenly you put push out all this, these great tools and you think that, you know, it's kind of mission accomplished, whereas it's just a daily being intentional and being consistent, whether it's in what we do individually and, you know, our, our work and home life. It's just, it's very important. I think very few organizations are, are consistent. That's one. There's probably five tenets for me. That That's one. The next one would be authenticity. You know, at the end of the day, you're dealing with a very competitive environment, no matter what industry or business you're in. And if you don't think you are, well, you may have something so unique and proprietary for a while. 
you know, that, that, that might be leverageable. And so take advantage of it while you can, but you're in a competitive environment in nonprofit and for-profit, you know, in nonprofit, for example, among, among donors, there's just such a, people don't understand the difference between these organizations and the ones that think the consumer does, they're, they're usually wrong. And if you look at boards, I was really informed by a lot of my board involvements. And if you ask a board actually what the organization does, as you know, in great detail, a lot of them don't know. And I don't necessarily expect them to know, but boy, if they don't know, then there's other organizations that are taking share of mind and share of wallet from those board members. And also all you're trying to do in any business, especially in nonprofits, is create brand ambassadors, right? So you need, you need legs, you need people out there telling your story. And if they don't know the story, from which they can nuance it to their own experience, which is kind of the gold mixture, right? Then you got a problem or an opportunity at least. Yeah, I think there is often a, a disconnect with boards of maybe they can recite the mission more or less, but when you get into what you actually do, you know, obviously every person's going to be a little bit different, right? There, Every person's going to give you a little bit different of an answer. Even if you talk to an executive director and their deputy director, they're going to give you a little bit different of an answer of what they do. Hopefully it's more or less the same. Um, it's yeah. just said in their own words, through their own lens. If, if I tell you what an organization does and my background is finance and you tell them what the organization does and your background is marketing, we're both going to have a little bit different perspective of what we looked at to how we got to an answer there. Hey, absolutely. And I learned from the best when I was the CEO of St. Patrick's Center. I was, uh, my board was up there with any corporate board you've ever seen from Jim Cavanaugh from Worldwide Technology to Joe Ambrose to Steve O'Hara to Joe Castellano to Susan Lombardo. So it was pretty unbelievable. I had one of the coolest compositions of people that not only were some of the smartest and most innovative people in industry in the world, but they also cared as the day is long. If you get those two things and put those things together, it's pretty powerful for an organization. Yeah. So authenticity, what comes next? Um, and maybe not ranked order, but being yeah. connected, right? So being yeah. connected and, and understanding your customer, understanding your staff, understanding the communities where you live and work, being connected from a technology perspective, but understanding like the balance between AI and, and you still need to touch and see and feel people. I was on the phone or actually I started on the phone with a credit card company the other day. And then I started working through their bot. This is a, a major credit card company, a completely frustrating experience because what I thought was going to be more efficient, it was it was the same thing they were doing to me on the phone, just on my you know phone. I mean, on my they were connected on my iPhone, right, right. So <laughs> it might have felt better, right? It might have felt better, but I was on hold just in two different ways, and I was being shuffled. And you could tell where I was being shuffled to different folks, whether they were real or or not. And I finally asked a tough enough question where they needed to put a real person on the on the line, but then they wouldn't get back to me till the next day. And so I would tell you that. All the technology advances are fantastic and everything going on with AI is great, but it's still there is an element still that's needed of human judgment and understanding when you're winning or losing relative to that customer interaction. You might have to uh, move to Spain to get satisfaction there. I think I just read an article towards the end of last year about how in Spain, their Congress passed laws that now require customer service to be live people. And like there is a basically like number per amount of clients or number per amount of calls that need to be on duty at all times. And so th there will be less frustration with that. And while I don't know that we are going to get there in the United States, um, I did find that like a really fascinating idea and story. Not Again, not sure I agree with it because that right. is a huge cost to a, a company to kind of employ more people. And that cost eventually just gets passed on to you as the consumer. I'll be back there this summer. So I'll... Uh... Do a yeah. little investigating and get back to you for next year. All right. So now that we're connected, yep. where, where are we going? 
I, I think you got to be, it's dynamic. The business has to be dynamic. And I, you know, Amazon 25 years ago, if you ever thought they were going to do anything other than sell books, I mean, for years, I just thought, oh, yeah, that's who they are, right? So you just have to look at your brand strategy and understand there are opportunities to innovate and what other things could you be doing? You and I have talked about our companies and you think you're this, but now you're this. It doesn't mean you're you're trading off your brand promise at all. It means you're just expanding and growing as an entrepreneur. And so I think all organizations can take that to, to heart and, and, and also see the products that you have that might not be as you know, is meaningful in the marketplace anymore and why? And in doing that evaluation that I'm sure you do with your clients of understanding what are we doing and why are we doing it? <laughs> and then, and not being afraid to make difficult decisions as to maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore, or maybe we, we should be doing, doing this. So I, we, we love to just kind of break up and disrupt the models through which brand and marketing communications are being delivered. And especially the, how, how the agencies approach these services, which, frankly, are very innovative at times. And then at times look like we're still stuck in the 70s and 80s in our industry. Yeah. And I think especially in the nonprofit world, I think dynamic, but thoughtful because is always the concern when an organization is, is dynamic, too dynamic, is that they've gone outside their real scope and their real mission as an organization. And there's mission creep um, yeah. becomes kind of a, a popular term. So it's one of those things where you write your mission, you write your vision for your organization and through your strategic planning. And it doesn't mean you have to only do two things. It just means before you jump into thing number three, you have to be thoughtful about whether that really helps you in fulfilling your mission. Because at the end of the day, being dynamic is a great thing. It's just, you have to make sure that it's really pushing you in the right direction when you're doing it. And, and that's where I think some groups, especially nonprofits, get into that issue of mission creep is they think, oh, you know, we can do that too, or it's, it's fine. We'll do that. I think the alternative to that, and I think in support of exactly what you were just saying, you run into organizations that keep doing an event or a program and it's costing them a lot of money and only serving three or five people. And they said, well, you know, this is really impactful for those three or five people, but is that the best use of your resources and it, are you really, is it really helping you move your mission forward? And that's where being dynamic can really be advantageous as you move things forward be, and move your brand forward. I agree. I, you know, I always credit Susan Lombardo from Enterprise on my board when I ran St. Patrick's Center and Jim Kinane. Um, we developed this evaluation tool for programs. And I say this to our nonprofit clients and most folks don't understand what, what money is, what funding sources really are, well, how much of that is, is real, is there margin in that funding source to support other operational aspects that are just sitting out there on their own that you have to fund? Are you stuffing unrestricted funds into those to make those things whole? But also at the end of it was a one through five, how does it return on mission? So there are things that nonprofits especially have to say, okay, wait, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. St. Patrick's Center had a mobile outreach program and it would take five to seven years sometimes to get people to come in the door. And I told our corporate folks on the board, I said, this is like prospecting. This is like way, way high funnel prospecting where they're not even interested in trial yet and they need trust and awareness, but that trust and awareness is going to need time. So there are things in nonprofits, especially where you got to say, this is why we're here. So we better figure out how to fund this differently because maybe government or your other funding sources are not, you know, not, not touching it. And the challenge is, you know, with government funding sources is you master, a, you, you, ma you do product development for a few years and you master something and they think the money should go somewhere else. And the challenge for most nonprofits is there's no retail component. 
So at the end of the day, you've built a product like in our world of CPG, you built a product, you can actually sell that product. Well, in nonprofits, normally you got to figure out how to find new funding sources to stuff into something you finally kind of perfected. And so it's just a different, different world that requires the same, same kinds of evaluation and questions. If you uh, get your organizations to be dynamic in their thought process and their branding, what is kind of your next thought process in there? What, what really helps them continue moving things forward? You know, it, it's not the case with all companies, but I'd still think me, being meaningful is, is important. Being meaningful to a consumer beyond the purchase. Everything is so transactional. Most of the things I buy, I don't like to shop, but most things I buy, I get retargeted on Instagram and then I buy a golf shirt, right? So, but even those companies, I want to know the story. I want to know the price is right. <laughs> I want to know the quality is good. And I want to know the story. And you could argue that goes across any industry that that, that you work in. Um, there is a price element. There's a rational element to decision making. Um, there's an emotional element to decision making, which is frankly 80% of 80 to 90% is that emotional component normally. And then there's a societal component that maybe sometimes we oversell the societal component, but most people that we're hiring and most of our new kind of younger customer base still wants to know that you're you're meaningful. And even older boomers, I would say, want to know that it's meaningful, maybe not as much as impacting the world, not to be overly stereotypical, but to know that the organization is trustworthy, you know, because because a lot of boomers are dealing with technology that they didn't grow up with. And they're a little wary anyway of, you know, maybe some of these new organizations or or folks that are trying to sell them something or, or banking relationships or you pick it, but you've got to be, you've got to show them that you've got some, some meaning, I think, beyond just the, the transaction. And meaningful is a broad word. It means a lot of different things to different people, but I want to know that they're good. I still want to know that the organization has a level, a level of caring and understanding of, of me as the consumer or of the community I work in. And it might be, you might say it's just a old time outdated thing, but it's practical as well. You need to be, organizations need to be selling the fact that they have some level of care for the communities where your people live and work. Well, and in, in most cases for nonprofits, that should be a pretty easy thing to do. It's Then it becomes about how you're conveying it, I think, because if you're a nonprofit and you're not being meaningful and impactful, then is there really a reason for your nonprofit? You know, and, and probably, I would probably struggle to say yes, if I, if I, couldn't answer your being meaningful and impactful as to basic criteria. And so once that is yes, then I think it becomes about how you're conveying that to others, because sometimes you are being meaningful, you are being impactful, but I think organizations really struggle to how they convey that. Some are better at it than others. You know, you look at the zoo and they put a baby penguin on everything and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Look, they're, you know, helping, you know, raise more penguins and, and right. a cute little baby penguin is never going to get, you're never going to turn away from it. Um, so, you know, there, there are some that are probably easier. There are some that become a little harder for us to comprehend and, and probably even certain programs you had at St. Patrick's Center were probably decent examples of that, of it was really meaningful for you to get housing for someone, but certain aspects of that might've been harder to share how meaningful that was. You know, it's funny, you brought, I was actually going to mention the zoo too. So we used to do a lot of work with the zoo when they needed more money to do a lot of the kind of deferred maintenance projects that they needed to work on leading up to Prop Z a few years ago. And even in that case, you were asking counties and organizations and areas that were already giving to you to give more. And so regardless of if it's babies or, you know, or penguins or whatever, you still need to show value. So that they're very meaningful 
but to what end relative to what the consumer is paying, not at the gate necessarily, but in this case, you know, through tax dollars. So companies, I think, assume that if they're in a certain area or niche sometimes that they're in a great place, but don't ever underestimate the fact that people have choices and that people, you know, have preconceived notions. And so that the education of the consumer as to what you do and why you're different is again, something that's, that's, that's critically important. It goes back to that authentic. Why are you, are you truly authentic and do you need to be? And if you're not, well, you better be winning on price or you better be winning on availability and convenience, or you better be winning on something, you know, or you're going to struggle over time. Yeah. And I had a professor in grad school talk about, you know, if you're trying to win on price or you're trying to win on an improved product, you have to be iterations better in one direction with those yep. to actually consistently win at it. I mean, you'll win the one-offs because you're 10 cents cheaper. If you think about it from a gas station standpoint, if two gas stations are across the street from each other and one's 10 cents cheaper, you're going to go to the 10 cent cheaper one. But if it's a mile apart, you start to go, is that really worth my time and energy and effort to go for that 10 cents less? And you know what? I never look at gas station prices, but I go to on the run every time because mm -hmm. it's convenient. It's clean. The people are nice. You know, so sometimes it's just we overestimate. We overestimate how challenging it is really to kind of grow and nurture a brand. I really go back to the maybe because I'm not splitting the atom, but I go back to sometimes it's the hardest things are the consistency, meticulously mm -hmm. listening, asking questions of your customer, being up to date on to really what your customer's thinking and feeling about your product. Because if you have that iteration and that communication, you can win when you have a pothole or when you stumble because everyone's going to stumble. You should have built enough equity up where you get a second chance. But if you're not having that kind of relationship with your customer, nonprofit, for-profit picket, you're, you're too prone to one bad experience. You know, the worst thing is getting no feedback, right? I mean, I'd rather you be mad at me and listen to you than just you go away, right? That, that's, that, that's when you lose the quietly kind of the quietly quitting concept. Yeah. So Yeah. And I think that can be really hard for nonprofits, both internally and externally, is internally are their staff quietly quitting because they're not believing in, you know, you're really following through on your brand or externally are donors or your constituency that you're serving quitting on you because you're not fulfilling that brand that you've promised to people. And, and so I think both of those are really impactful, especially today. I, I deal a lot with students. We do a lot of work with students, you know, that are about to graduate from St. Louis University. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about how impactful you can be as an organization. We talk a lot with them, but you know, it, it is one of those things where you work with students a lot. And what happens is they fail to understand when I graduated 20 years ago, 2004, it was a market where when I went into the job market, I was like, I hope I can find a job. Whereas the students graduating today are like, well, oh, everybody wants to hire us because there's there's so many jobs out there. And it's just a very different mentality going on in the world. It went from very company heavy and company focused, company led to very right. employee led. And it's not to say one is right or one is wrong. It's just a different time in society. It, it has really it made a difference on how, how you have to look at things. Well, in higher ed, you know, our higher ed clients, it's, I mean, and yours as well, it's fascinating because they're, they're really at a tipping point. And I, I look at, you know, we're based in St. Louis and I look at the amount of kids in St. Louis that historically would go to Big Ten universities that wouldn't give big discounts, but they were great schools. And now they go to SEC schools, which are really good schools as well, but they're getting the, the competition through which schools like Old Miss and Alabama and Kentucky are getting St. Louis kids building up 
great programs that historically maybe weren't as great as they are now, and just completely changing the dynamic of where where students are going from this market. So that it's a value prop. It's a value prop piece too. It's just it's a tough articulation in higher ed unless you're in very specialized fields. Um, where you need to go to this school to get that specialty, boy, it's really becoming a, an interesting proposition relative to. And as a father of four, I can tell you, it's it really interesting, right? I mean, it's a yeah. it's a it's a challenging environment. And if you don't, all those things we talked about, the consistency, the differentiation, having meaning, you know, being authentic. I mean, boy, outside of sports programs, I could give you 15, 20 business schools, and you can't tell me probably why one of them is that different than the other, unless mm -hmm. they had a very specific thing that they were just excelling in. And it's, you know, so I say social work all the time, since we both deal with a lot of nonprofits. I mean, there's so many great social work schools from Brown school right here at Washington university, but you know, kids that have to pay $80,000 a year, $90,000 a year, and then go into a field where they're going to make $50,000 a year <laughs> is the numbers fundamentally don't make sense. And so I think we have to solve that. Frankly, that's one of the biggest things that ails our country. Honestly, just it's, it's kind of backwards when you've got mm -hmm. teachers and law enforcement and people that are really doing heavy lifting and they're doing heavy lifting, just trying to get themselves out of college debt for 20 years, you know? So, oh, well, but uh, we'll hopefully we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. So in, in regards to brand marketing strategy, you know, do you see things changing in the future? How do you see brands improving or impacting their own organizations as they move forward? I think one thing that's nice about your five key points there is technology doesn't play a factor in those necessarily. And meaning that not that you won't have technology impacting your organization, but those five are as true a hundred years ago as they are today, and they will be true again in another hundred years. So they're they're yeah. timeless. Like is probably the right term for them. You know, sometimes you get into areas that are interesting and fascinating, but you really don't know what the future of them will look like. Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about you know even in the dynamic sense, my brain went to IBM, and that you know thirty years ago, thirty five years ago maybe. IBM, I mean, the old saying was nobody got in trouble for buying IBM. And right. that was because they were selling hardware and computers. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. They, right. They're one of the few that was truly dynamic and truly changed their company and survived it. Um, whereas so many of the organizations that tried to change or didn't change just aren't here anymore. You know, so I like that your five are really timeless and that they are true no matter how your organization operates. Is there anything that you do see changing though? when you start talking about brand strategy moving forward? Well, I mean, to your point, though, I look at UPS, they're a logistics company now. And UPS was a, a solid second place way behind FedEx, you know, five, 10 years ago. And so, I mean, that, that reinvention and, and refreshing of your brand, I think is really important. I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about Portland and some of the issues they're having with, with crime and people struggling with homelessness and Target and REI are closing locations. And they're saying it's a function of, Folks struggling with homelessness and crime. Well, it might be, but it might be a function of the of the brand of the REI brand that is being refreshed as we speak. So I I would say you got to keep constantly understanding if you're pertinent, um, and that relates to nonprofit and for profit space. And I think you have to you know nonprofit clients you have to invest in your brand. I look at Stanford, and Stanford had their challenges through COVID, and they probably too quickly kind of winnowed down their sports programs, and then they kind of brought them back back in after COVID kind of slowed, but they always spent more than Charity Navigator, for example, would say it's a smart spend for programs versus administration, but they won the number one athletic 
they were the number one in the director's cup for 25 straight years. So just because that model isn't what people think the model should be, they ran by all accounts, the best athletic program in the United States and most successful one for 25 years. So I, I think that's with brands too. I mean, sometimes you just kind of continue to test the concept and test the product and make sure that you're, that all these things we talked about, you're connected, you're relevant, you're consistent, you know, you're meaningful and you're kind of, you know, all of these things are, like you said, are, are timeless tenets of, of great brands. And the ones that go away are ones that if you take those five, they're probably not, not most of, the, of those five. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, it's great. I appreciate uh, it's been it's been fun, and it's a it's a good journey. It's just a function of continuing to kind of listen and ask questions, like we tell my my kids all the time. I think that's a you can get back to the basics sometimes. It's just really understanding understanding your customer and understanding their journey. You know, mm -hmm. you talked about technology, whether it's traditional user journey or retail user journey or an online user journey. Just understanding the paths through which people try, consume, and then come back and try your product again, and then ideally they they're evangelists and they they talk about it. So those are the things we kind of kind of teach and preach every day to our clients. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. Uh, yeah, thanks, Eric. It's great to see you. Really look forward to it. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to The Five. Subscribe to our channel and make sure you catch every episode of The Five and reach out to Nimble Strategies today for help with your nonprofit.